0: The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. It is in John 17 in the high priestly prayer. And then the other time that we see kind of this inside view, kind of an instruction manual into Jesus' Jesus's prayer life is in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, when he instructs his disciples on how to pray. And that is the passage that we are going to be looking at for the next few weeks. We are going to be focusing in on Matthew 6, particularly the Lord's Prayer. Now, that passage ends up in a larger discourse that's within Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount begins in chapter 5, and it actually continues all the way through chapter 7. How are we doing back there? Sounds a little echoey. Um, So as it continues through chapter 7, Jesus discusses a lot of things with the disciples. In chapter 5, when the Sermon on the Mount begins, Jesus, it says, ascends to the mountain, he sits down, and he instructs his disciples. It begins with the Beatitudes, and after Jesus finishes the Beatitudes, he continues on. There's an area where he discusses the law and the disciples' interpretation of the law, how they understand the law. He says things such as, you have heard it said, but I say to you, where Jesus takes a part of the law and he tells them that actually your understanding of it is not enough. You see, the disciples traditionally would interpret the law according to the letter of the law, but Jesus was challenging them to understand the law according to God's intent behind the law, which is actually much more difficult and much more strict. Well, after that section on you have heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus then goes on in chapter 6 to begin a discourse on right religion what proper religiosity should look like, what a follower of Christ should do. And so he talks about things such as giving to the needy and prayer, fasting, or talking about where it is that our security should actually come from. And it is within that section that we find our passage on the Lord's Prayer. And so we are going to be focusing in chapter 6 on verses 5 through 13. So why don't you go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 6, verse 5 through 13. That's in page 811 of the Red Bible and 1158 in the Children's Bible. Follow along. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray... Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for bringing us here this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your instruction. And I ask that today, as we look at this passage, as we study your word, that you would open up our hearts, that you would open up our minds, and that we would learn from your word about what you have to say about prayer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've probably heard it said, and maybe you've actually said it yourself, the saying, I'm just not really a very religious person. I consider myself spiritual, but religion, not so much. Have you ever heard that before? I know I have. We live in a culture that loves spirituality. We live in a culture that embraces and adopts prayer. But religion, and especially Jesus, those things, mm, not so cool. When I was doing campus ministry at the University of Iowa, I would actually go and teach students how to share their faith with unbelievers. And one of the things that I noticed is whenever I asked the student to go share the gospel, they would get this look on their face. Their eyes would get really wide and you would just see panic because they were afraid. The thought of going to someone and sharing Jesus with another person was very frightening to them. And the reason why was because there was this fear, this fear that they're going to experience rejection, a fear that they are going to be called out, shot down, or, or even worse. But if I challenged a student to go and ask somebody, hey, could I pray for you? Even if they were asking a complete stranger, can I pray for you? That was a lot, more, lot less intimidating. And that makes sense. You see, people in general are a lot more open to this idea of prayer. People are okay with that. If you go up to somebody and you say, hey, I would like to tell you about Jesus, normally the response is going to be an automatic defensive posture. But if you go to someone and say, hey, can I pray for you? Most people are are okay with that. They're all right with that. Why is that? Why is prayer okay, but Jesus is not? Well, I'm going to argue that prayer is acceptable because when we pray, and and I'm including Christians in this, a lot of the time what we're seeking after is control. Our motives are selfish, and we have this belief that we're the ones who know best. We're seeking control, our motives are selfish, and we think that we know what's best. But Jesus, on the other hand, is offensive. And Jesus is offensive because he says that we actually have to give up control Jesus says that we have to die to ourselves And that we have to confess that actually He's the best So when you pray I want you to think through this Who are you really praying to? How do you pray? And what is it that drives you to prayer? Who are you really praying to? How do you pray? And what drives you to prayer? Today I've got three Ps on prayer Our prayer should be pointed... It should be private, it should be pointed, and it should be a part of his purposes. Private, pointed, and a part of his purposes. And let's begin in verse 5 and 6. It says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you go... Into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus commands the disciples to not be like the hypocrites. Now, the Greek word that's translated hypocrites here is this word that conveys this picture of having one eye closed in prayer and another eye that's looking around to see who's watching, who's observing me, who is seeing me pray. These are the people who pray in extremely public places. It says in the synagogue, which, yes, is the place of worship, but the synagogue was also the center of community life. Or the person who prays at the junction of two streets, where there's going to be a lot of people who can observe what you're doing, that can see you praying. These hypocrites that Jesus is talking about would actually go out of their way to make sure that people saw them taking time to pray. Back then, the Jews had actually prescribed times of prayer, similar to somebody who would be of Muslim faith today, prays five times a day during certain times. Well, the Jews did something similar, and these hypocrites would actually go out of their way to time themselves to see to it that they were in a public place, that they just happened to be there when prayer time came about, so that they would be compelled to pray in a place where many people could see them. They wanted to be seen. And Jesus says, we must not be like that. Now, before I continue, I want to clarify a few things. First of all, it says standing in the synagogues. I want you to know that there is nothing wrong with praying while you're standing up. In Mark eleven twenty five, 25, it makes it clear that standing is a perfectly acceptable posture for prayer. And secondly, I want you to know that there's nothing wrong with praying in the synagogues. It is right, it is proper to pray in the place of worship, okay? That is not what Jesus is saying. What he is saying, the real concern here is why are you praying? To whom are you praying? You see, these hypocrites have one eye closed, but they have one eye looking around. And Jesus is saying, when you pray, all of your attention, everything should be on God and God alone. We should have an audience of one. Now, as I said before, in our culture today, prayer is cool. You see, one of the reasons that we pray, although it's not a proper reason, one of the reasons that we pray is to fit in. How many of you have heard a politician in their speech with something along the lines of, God bless us, or some variation of that? Now, I'm not saying that this is necessarily true of every single politician. I don't know their hearts, but I do know myself, and I know human nature. And so I am confident that there are a large number of public figures out there that have learned, that have been told, that if you end a speech, if you make comments such as, God bless us all, that that results in a positive response, that it results in a good public opinion, that it creates stronger ratings and more support. People will use prayer language to fit in. People will also go to places of prayer to fit in. How many people are out there that will go to a public location such as a church, to spend time in prayer. And yet, if you find them in the privacy of their own home, they just can't seem to find a reason, a purpose to pray. People pray to fit in. And when we do that, when we pray to fit in, who are we actually praying to? Are we praying to God? No. We're praying to those other people. We're doing what it says in verse 5 so that they may be seen by others. Now, for people such as Pastor Dan, for Jason, for myself, for those of us out there who are, quote, professional religious people, you know, this is a very dangerous thing. This is something that is extremely tempting and that we have to guard our own hearts. We have to check ourselves because we are constantly praying in places, and in ways where many people hear us. And we have to ask ourselves, who are we praying to? Are we praying to God or, or to you guys? In 1880, Charles Spurgeon tells this story about a newspaper article where this guy writes an article about what he considered to be the finest prayer that had ever been prayed in all of Boston. Charles Spurgeon, in his sermon, says, you know what, this guy has received his reward. His name was in the paper. We, when we pray, are to have an audience of one. And the best way, the, really the only way for us to truly have an audience of one is to pray in private. Jesus says in verse 6 that we need to go into the inner room, that we need to go into a private room, that we need to shut the door. Because you know what? All of us have this temptation to be a hypocrite. When you pray, how do you know if, if you are a hypocrite? How can you tell if that's you? Well, you ask yourself. When you pray by yourself, do you find that you have a hard time coming up with words to say because nobody else can hear you? How do you spend time in private prayer? What is your private prayer life like? Do you spend more time in private prayer than public prayer? You know, our hearts are deceptive and they are fickle the only time that we can say honestly that we are 100% praying for God and to God alone is when we're all by ourselves. And so that means that our private prayer life should inform our public prayer life and not the other way around. Because we can trick ourselves. Our hearts are deceptive. We can trick ourselves. We can trick those who are around us about our true motivation. But you know, there is someone who isn't tricked, that is not deceived, and that's God. He's our Father, and He knows our hearts. He is in the secret place, and He knows what is actually going on in the secret depths of our heart. When I was little, there was one day that I woke up one morning, and I went into my parents' bedroom, because they had candy stashed. And I went, and I found the candy, and I grabbed it, and my parents woke up in the process of this. And I looked at them, and I said, shh, shh, go back to sleep, And then I took the candy, and I went underneath the table, and I hid, and I began to eat the candy. And my parents thought that what I was doing was really cute, and so they just kind of left me alone. But I thought that what I was doing was completely secret. Nobody knew what was going on. I had them completely fooled. (laughs) But that's not the truth. because They knew what was going on, even in my secret little hiding place. God is our Father. And he sees right through our secrets. He is actually in the secret place. And that's where he's waiting for us. He wants us to meet him there in secret, in the secret places of our heart, and commune with him. Well, not only should our prayer life be private, it should also be pointed. We shouldn't hesitate to get to the point. In verses 7 and 8, Jesus says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. You see, the Gentiles believed that if you prayed for a really, really long time, that God would be more inclined to do what you want. If you remember back the Old Testament story, when the prophets of Baal gathered around the altar, and they prayed on and on and on, hoping that Baal would eventually send fire down onto the altar. But what happened? Nothing. Praying for a really long time does not make God in any more obligated to answer our prayers. The Greek word that is translated here, empty phrases, is bataligeo, which is an otomatopoeic, otomatopoeic, that's a A fun word and also very hard to say. Word. It sounds like babble or blah, 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 blah. Basically, what Jesus is saying is don't throw up a bunch of empty, vain, long-winded, flowery phrases. There's no point in doing that because it is not going to get you any further with God. He knows exactly what you want. He knows what you need. But the funny thing about saying don't pray blah, 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 is that sometimes... The very prayer that we are going to be looking at, the very prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, can often become our Father in heaven. Blah, 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 blah. Hollow be thy name. Blah, 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 blah. Right? Have you ever experienced that before? Where you repeat something again and again and again, and it just becomes this rote repetition without meaning? Does that mean that all repetitious prayer is bad? Should we avoid those things? No. No, the answer is no. When you look in the garden in Gethsemane, Jesus actually repeated the same prayer over. What Jesus is saying is that we need to guard against a robotic, empty prayer life. When we say words, when we speak to God, we should mean them. We should actually be communicating with God. It's okay to say the Lord's Prayer. It is okay to recite different prayers again and again, but when we say them, we should think through what are we actually saying. We should actually be praying those words to God. In his book Christ Centered Preaching, or Christ Centered Worship, actually, Brian Chapel talks about how worship should be redundant enough that it's familiar, but spontaneous enough that it remains fresh. Redundant enough that it's familiar, but spontaneous enough that it remains fresh. And when we design our worship service, when we put together the liturgy here at Jacob's Well, that is our goal. That's our aim. We try to do that. But don't limit that only to Sunday morning. Some of you out there I know are routine people. And in your private prayer life, routine is good. For you routine people, keep on having the routine. But at the same time, it's important to occasionally change up that routine. Maybe go on a walk. Privately in a park and spend some time in prayer or change the room that you have your quiet time in. Do things that are a little bit spontaneous on occasion to keep yourself from falling into that temptation of hearing and thinking and praying, blah, 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 blah. On the other hand, some of you out there are uh, more spontaneous people. Those that are spontaneous out there, you know what, spontaneity is a really good thing. It's good to be spontaneous But at the same time, sometimes spontaneity is just a code word for infrequency. You also need routine. So while spontaneity is good, you should also find some kind of routine, some kind of regularity, whether that's a particular time or a particular place that you go and you spend time in prayer and in the Word. We need to have both routine and spontaneity. Also, when we talk about what it means to be pointed in our prayer life, it means that we need to make a distinction, as Augustine says, between much speaking in prayer and much praying. There is a difference between a lot of speaking in prayer and a lot of praying. We are called to pray. We don't need to pray with a lot of words because we think, hey, some is good, more is better. No, we need to pray because God, our Father, knows what we need in verse 8 it says that for your father knows what you need before you ask him but you know this can be a little bit challenging because the second that we acknowledge the second that we actually begin to believe that god knows what we need he knows what we're going to ask before we pray it that inevitably causes us to ask the question what is the point of prayer Why should I pray if God already knows what I need and he also already knows what I'm going to pray before I pray it? Why pray? Why should I pray? And once again, we're back to that question. What drives us to pray? Well, we already gave one reason, one possible answer for what drives us to pray. It's a a bad reason, but it's a reason nonetheless. We pray to fit in, to be accepted, to be praised. But another reason that we pray is because we're desperate We are desperate for someone who is outside of ourselves to come and help us. Sort of the the snarky way to say that is that there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. Everyone at some point or another is going to come to a point in their life where the hurt, the pain, the brokenness is going to cause them to cry out. It causes them to cry out from their heart to God. I was having a conversation with a guy at Starbucks who was a self-proclaimed atheist, and he was telling me about a period in his life that was extraordinarily traumatic. And he said that during that time in his life, he found himself crying out to God. Now, after it was over, he really struggled. He wrestled with why did he do that? Why did he instinctively go to prayer when he doesn't even believe that God exists? Well, eventually, this guy said that he got tired of wrestling with this question, and so he just dismissed the entire experience altogether. He just let it go. He forgot about it. Why did he do that? The reason why is because God has hardwired us to do so. God has hardwired us to call out to him. You see, God in his infinite wisdom has made prayer a part of his sovereign purposes, By relating to, by crying out to, by communicating with God, we are actually playing a role. We have a part in what he is doing on this earth. See, our God is a relational God. He desires to relate with us. He desires to be with us. And so, in some mysterious way that I really cannot explain, our desperate prayers and his sovereign purposes are intertwined. They are linked in a way That when we pray, we are actually participating in what God is doing. We are affecting what God is doing and what he has sovereignly ordained ahead of time. Why do we pray when he already knows what we need? We pray because our prayers are mixed in with his preordained provision. And secondly, if you're following along in your bulletin, the second reason why we pray Is because we are commanded to. Our Father commands us to pray. And the reason that he does that is because he loves us. And he knows that when we join in with him in his purposes, it is for our delight. I don't own a lawn yet. I don't know if I ever will own a lawn. But I know that if I do, I'm going to obsess over it. I know that I'm going to obsess over my lawn because my father obsessed over his lawn. And he actually would invite me to join him in that obsession. When I was little, um, I would help him mow the lawn. I would go out and I would push the lower rung on the, uh, the, the lawnmower. And then he would push from behind. And we would mow the lawn together. Now, it was actually my dad who was actually mowing the lawn. But I was still participating with him. And I delighted in that. I loved... Participating with my father in the work that he was doing. You see, God commands us to pray because when we do that, we are joining with him in his purposes. He loves us and he wants us to delight in what he is doing and in joining him in that. You know, uh, Pastor Sinclair Ferguson makes a really good and a really interesting point about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the difference between, in the way that the people of God understood God. You see, God is the same yesterday, today, and, and tomorrow, but the way we understand him can change. And in your Bible, in this section, the first chunk of Scripture, the first three quarters, the believers in this section of the Bible right here did not understand, they really did not know God as Father. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Isaiah, Daniel, all these believers from the early days did not know God as Father. And then Jesus comes along, and we step into this half of the Bible. And as Jesus steps into time, we see that throughout the New Testament, Jesus is referring to God as Father again. Again and again, and again. In fact, in all of the New Testament, there is only one time that Jesus does not refer to God as Father. And that's when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus tells us in this passage that we are to understand God as our Father. When we pray, we are called to meet with our Father in a private place. We are called to meet with our Father in the secret places of our heart. That we are to be open and that we are to be honest with our Father because He knows our needs. We have a Father who understands us and He knows what we need. And we are to join in with our Father We're to join in with him in what he is doing in this world, his purposes. But you know what? That is only possible. That is only possible because God forsook his son on the cross. And in that moment, Jesus did not cry out, Father. He said, my God, so that we here today can go to him and cry out to Him, Our Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You that we can call You that, that we can seek You out in the private places, that we can seek You out and ask You for our needs, that we can call upon You when we are in need because You know our needs. And Lord, I thank You that You have given us that gift. And I ask, that for us, that we would be able to trust in you and follow in your ways and be real with you from this day and for the rest of our lives. Amen.